2: Recorded live.
0: Greetings, welcome to today's live Sabbath service of I Saw the Light Ministries.com. This is Pastor Tim of I Saw the Light Ministries. And today, for the record, today's date on the Roman calendar is April the 18th, 2015, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in God's created calendar is the 29th day of the first month. And tomorrow is going to be the first day of the second month, and uh, uh, after the uh, song service, we'll start in Matthew 25, if anybody at home would like to go ahead and turn there, and uh, we will start in prayer, so if everybody here in person would please stand, and we'll start out in prayer, then we're going to do a song service, and then we'll get into the sermon, as the Holy Spirit leads. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this Sabbath day. We thank you, God, for the cool breeze blowing to help uh, cool us off a little bit. We thank you that it's not raining. And we thank you, God, for every person that is here. We thank you for every person that is listening and that's going to listen over the phone and over the Internet. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to deliver your word to the people over the phone and over the Internet and in person. We pray for anybody that may be trying to find the location to attend in person, Lord God, that you guide and lead them in safety and bring them here safe and sound. And if they're not coming this week, that, Lord God, if it be your will, that you lead them here safely next week. We ask, Lord God, that Thy will be done in this service, in this ministry, and in our lives through the name of Jesus Christ. We ask, God, for your blessing, your anointing. We ask, God, you bless the anointing on the song service and on the sermon on the speaking and on the hearing. We ask, God, that anything that you want us to share, that we'd share and be obedient, anything you would have us to do, that we would be obedient to the Holy Spirit, God. And these things we ask that your will, Father God, be done. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Let's do, uh, grab the folders there and give them out. I appreciate it. Song number one, I like doing a whole lot it's definitely a, a praise song. And that's the point of doing song service. Praise God. Uh, CD player is acting a little bit up as far as I can see the actual numbers. But surely the first song will be on first. But once we get up the higher numbers, I might have to play around with it. Make sure it's going to work. Right, patient,
3: <laughs> sure
1: <that> one.
3: <laughs>
0: of I Saw the Light Ministries. We welcome the person that is from Louisiana over the uh, internet or phone, Uh, internet, I guess it is, and uh, welcome everybody else that's listening later in the week and uh, those here in person. Let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 25, and we're reading from the New American Standard Bible, but you're welcome to follow along the King James you're wondering why we read in the New American Standard, there's an article about it on the website. The ministry website is I saw the light ministries.com. I saw the light ministries.com. And you can look there in the navigational bar on the bottom of the page that you'll come to. Uh, there's a lot of articles to sort through. But if you look for the one that compares King James Version with New American Standard, and there's other things on the website and the things that we preach here at services that may seem a little strange to you the first time you hear it, because, you know, the book of Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says that the devil has deceived the whole world. Now, the whole, the whole world means everybody. That means me. I know that I've been deceived in my life. It doesn't say half the world or most of the world, but it says the whole of a denomination or some kind of a philosophy, some kind of a thinking, some kind of a way of thinking. Even the atheists and the agnostic and uh, the, all the different denominations and ways of thinking, we've all been raised in something. So we have to overcome the devil. We have to overcome the deception that we was raised in. We have to overcome the deception that society has taught us, and man's denominations and man's way of thinking. We have to overcome that through the Holy Spirit, to listening to God, to reading the Scriptures, praying and fasting, seeking the truth. Seek, and you shall find. Say so if you just continue to accept for granted everything you've always heard in your life or been taught by men, you will continue in Babylon. Quite frankly, you continue in Babylon. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, to prove all things. It doesn't say take for granted what, we, what we've always been taught. And even as we teach on the website and even as we teach here at services, I don't want you to just take immediately what I say. But I really encourage you, I really do encourage you to take notes and then go home and reread all the scriptures that I show you in prayer and ask God, is there anything about this that's wrong? Is there anything about this that's not quite right or incorrect? Quite honestly, I've been wrong before. I've taught a lot of things, actually, that were wrong at some time or another because I was taught by man. until I finally learned to um, dig deep and really, really examine each and everything that I thought I knew to overcome all the doctrines of man and that's what we're all supposed to do in this world of darkness, in this world of Babylon, in this world of deception, we really need a big deep. So if there's anything I say today or any time that I say anything or on the website or in services that doesn't sound right, don't make a decision right away in either direction, either direction, but take it in prayer. Study, read seeking through the Holy Spirit to prove all things, rather be right or wrong, prove it. So we're in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven, this is the words of Jesus, then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Of course, it is a parable analogy for the church as we are the virgins to meet Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. Now, there's ten virgins here. But it says in verse 2, five of them were foolish and five were prudent. Truly, there are Both, now this is the words of the Bible, not me, foolish and prudent people in the church. Both in the churches of man and even in the true church. These are not talking about worldly people here. These are talking about virgins. Even these foolish
2: people here were virgins. Five were foolish and five were prudent. Prudent. It is important to be prudent. 14 James Version says wise. But when the foolish took their lamps,
0: they took no oil with them. Well, that is foolish. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. They took their necessities with them.
2: Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, and it definitely does seem like Christ has delayed his coming, they
0: all got drowsy and began to sleep. Now, that's even the wise ones. All of them.
2: All of them got drowsy and began to sleep. After you wait, and you wait,
0: and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and wait, and you wait. Just like the disciples in the garden with Jesus, they fell asleep. At the most important hour, when they was coming for Jesus, they fell asleep. He found himself really alone. And even later on, they all scattered. They weren't much more help awake. Not that Christ would have resisted. But it's nice to have your brothers there with you. It's nice to have support and encouragement in your trial. Verse 6, but at midnight, there was a shout. You know what shout that is? The last trumpet. We're going to read about two more different shouts later. God willing. But there was a shout. Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Come out to meet him. Behold, the bridegroom. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God. But this time he ain't coming as a lamb. Coming as a lion and as a bridegroom. Coming after his bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Praise God. Come out. To meet, them. then all those versions rose and trimmed their lamps, all of them, both foolish and wise. And the foolish said to the prudent, "Give us some of your oil,
2: for our lamps
0: are going out." These must be democrats. <laughs> They're trying to get from those that have. Verse 9, but the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for us, and you too go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourself. Now, the denominations of man always teach that this is speaking, this oil is speaking only of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. But well, I'm telling you today that this parable is dual. Just like many of the things we read every week, how it has two meanings. And that's why the Bible and the Word of God is described as being a two-edged sword. Because it cuts two directions. It's dual. Many, 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 many times. But a lot of the Bible is dual. Even, even triple in meaning sometimes. And this is no exception. This is a dual parable. It's not just the Holy Spirit, but it's also talking not only spiritually, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's not talking spiritually. I'm not saying it's not talking about the Holy Spirit, but it has a double meaning. And the other meaning is it's also talking physically about having supplies, about having your necessities, your, your the things that you need for life. And Jesus taught that. Uh, Jesus never taught that you should not have necessity. He understood the need for necessity. He understood he understood the need
2: for water, for food, for supplies. And the whole sermon today is not going to be about the need for prepping. not
0: going to be about the need for prepping. But let's continue. In verse 9 it says, But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you to Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourself. Verse 10, And while they were going away to make the purses, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. But the door was not shut until that moment. It wasn't shut before the tribulation, like a lot of the churches of Babylon teach. It was still possible to get ready to meet him until the blowing of the last trumpet. Verse 11, later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, whoop it up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. We know the other scripture in Matthew says that not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in. This is what's trying to happen here. They're trying to enter in. They're saying, whoop it up to us. He's saying, no, I don't know you. He's not going to let these strangers in. The mayor is suffering. Verse 13, be on the alert then, but you do not know the day or the hour. But we read other scriptures saying that you shall know the season. We've got to take all
1: scriptures
0: together. Never take one verse to prove anything. That's another problem with the churches of man. So often using one verse, and many times out of context how to prove something. We should never do that. Always, 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 without exception, have at least two, at least, and even more if possible, to back up, to make sure you're understanding what it says, what it really means. So here, is there anything here to absolutely prove that you, that is talking about supplies, well, not if you take it all by itself, although we should consider that you can't go to the store and buy the Holy Spirit. But you got to look at other scriptures and look at Proverbs. Let's turn to Proverbs.
2: Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Proverbs 6, verse 6. We'll get into the main subject here in just a minute. Then will wrestle with the wind pages just like I did last week.
0: Well, verse six verse six. It says Go to the
1: ant or
0: King James says, Consider. I think it says consider the ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her way and be wise. Wise, we just read about the wise and the prudent. I didn't recognize that so right now. We just read about the wise and the prudent. Verse 7, which having no chief, they don't have a pastor, they don't have an apostle, they don't have a prophet, they don't have a president or a manager, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, perhaps prepares. She prepares. These ants, are well, preppers, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long would you lie down, those sluggards? Will you when will you arise from your sleep? We just read about those that were sleeping when the midnight shout came. How the word of God affirms one another. That's what we're talking about. Always use more than one verse because all the verses connect together. And it's important to get the whole picture. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's what the Bible teaches instead of taking one verse. So indeed we do have biblical proof that we should prepare for hard times. That's just prudent. That's just being wise. Even those that don't know God, even the United States government tells you you should always have at least thirty days worth of food and water supplies on hand at all times. Even the even the government of man tells you that. It's just being wise. How much more so should the family of God and the government of God, the ambassadors of God and the church and the bride of Christ be wise even so much more so? Amen. And we can look at the example of Noah, how he prepared 120 years. And there's much, 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 much more preparation than what we read about in the Bible. It was much more than just waiting for the animals to show up. It was much more than building the ark. There was all kinds of things that Noah had to consider. So much preparation against all obstacles, against all ridicule and mocking of man. All the trials and tribulations that his family went through. That was a lot going on there that's not written about. And Noah was going into the prisons, according to the book of Peter. How he was going into the prisons, speaking and ministering as a preacher of righteousness. There was a lot going on in his day and time, and how wicked it was in the days of Noah like it is today, even as in the days of Noah. And Noah was preparing for the storm. He was preparing for the midnight hour. We consider the example of Joseph, how he prepared during seven years of planning for the seven years of famine. But now, what God has really laid in my heart today is, as we do these things, as we are wise, as we are prudent, as we do what is necessary for ourselves, for our families, for our neighbors, for our community, for the church, although we've got to be careful who we share with, according to Matthew 25, we've got to be careful who we just give these things to when that time strikes. Yes, we want to share, but we've got to be careful who to share with. But as we do all this, as we get ready, as we prepare, as we watch the news, as we are watching what's going on and, and, and waiting and waiting and waiting, we can't lose sight of one thing. And that's really the purpose of the sermon today. Is don't put your trust in those things. Don't put your trust in your prepping. Don't put your trust in your own works in what you are trying to do and accomplish and prepare for it. Put more of your mind, yes, do these things. Absolutely do these things. But put more of our minds on God's protection. God's provision, God's healing, the things God is going to do during that time. We've got to do our part. If we don't do our part, God won't do it here. We'll read some examples here. in We've got to do our part. But we've got to trust God that if we're doing our part, God is going to do His. And we're going to. I, I personally have stocked up some medical supplies, but not so much for me, but for others that's going to be passing through, with the soldiers and the gunshot wounds and the severe burns. I'm storing up those medical supplies. I firmly believe in the power of God for healing for me, my family, and those who are going to be with me, and even for the passer-throughs. If God willing, I would put my hands on them and they will recover and be healed in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I still got to do my part. God sometimes chooses to use these things of man. Sometimes sometimes God chooses. For example, I have to take medicine every day right now. I know eventually God is going to totally Absolutely, 100% heal me. I ain't got no doubt of that. But for right now, I have to take medicine that actually sustains my life. I mean, honestly and truly, I have to take medicine, and I delayed it, and I delayed it, I didn't want to take it. I didn't want to take it. But my numbers, my blood count, everything got worse, 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 worse so bad. It was really tremendously horrible numbers, deathly. And I was praying, I was trusting God, I was wanting God to heal me. But then God told me, I'm not going to give you poison. I know God told me that. And I started taking that medicine, and my numbers started improving, and I didn't even have no side effects, and I still take it today with no side effects and good numbers. Sometimes we have to do these things. If you read the Apotheca, the books that was written between the Old and the New Testament, it tells you that. It tells you that God uses doctors and that God uses the medicines of man. It's written in those pages. And I really encourage everybody to have a copy of that. And hopefully I'm going to work on trying to print the apotheca out and make booklets and give it to everybody so everybody don't even have to buy it. Hopefully I'll be able to do that. So sometimes... We have to do things in the flesh. But that don't mean I don't trust God. It just means God is working in that particular way. That's the way God has chosen to use and work. God chooses man. God chooses for man to build a boat. God chooses for man to store back. Items and supplies, medical supplies and food. God chooses man to do stuff, and God is working. It don't mean God ain't working. It don't mean God ain't faithful. It don't mean God ain't healing. But he chooses to use man. We are his arms. We are his hands. We are his healing hands. And sometimes it comes in the physical sense. But the Spirit of God is still working in these things. God is still providing. God is still answering we've got to realize that it's not always that God ain't answering. Sometimes the answer is, take your allergy medicine. Take your blood medicine. That, sometimes that is God's answer. Sometimes it is. We've got to trust God, whatever he says, whatever whatever he tells us to do. And we've got to trust God that as we do our part, that he's going to do his part, that there will be some divine healing, that there will be some divine uh, supplies, even like manna and quail. I know that God told me one time as I sit under a tree many years ago, seeing it to me like many years ago,
2: that it goes, Gumballs from heaven
0: are delicious. Gumballs from heaven are delicious. What God gave me when I sitting under that tree. Now, exactly what those gumballs exactly look like or taste like or shape like or anything, I don't know. I'm not seeing them yet. But I know I'm going to see them. Something like manna. I would say. But if we're not doing our part, I don't believe he will even do that. I believe we got to do our part. But we can't get so caught up in doing our part that we forget about what God's going to do or that we stop trusting him or that we put too much emphasis or too much worry or too much anxiety on the physical of what we're doing. Let's look at some examples where God worked in the face of impossible circumstances and situations where he still used man, and man still had to do their part, but God worked a miracle in it. And let's look at Judges 7. That's over there just after, it's about, what, the sixth book of the Bible, something like that, after your uh, first five books. Maybe the sixth or seventh book, book of Judges. Let's go to Judges, chapter seven. While we're turning there, think of the Passover blood on Passover night when they was in Egypt. How on that last night before God was uh, bringing them out, He brought them out the very next day. How they they had to kill the goat lamb, whatever it was, and put the blood of the animal over the doorposts of the house all throughout the land of Goshen of all the Israelite houses, and they had to stay indoors. They had to shut the door and not come out to morning. They had to be obedient. And even though every one of them survived of the Israelites' firstborn, if they had not done that, the firstborn would have died if they hadn't done it. That God performed a miracle as long as they did their part. In Judges 7, verse 1, then Jurabal, that is Gideon, that is another name for Gideon. And it means, Jurabal means to contend against Baal. Uh, Baal being a demon, a false god, an idol, to uh, contend against. And it's basically God against the devil, whereas the J-E being in the name of God, as in Jesus, Jesus, God with us, J-E-H-I, H being silent, H being completely invisible there, basically God against the devil, or to contend against God. And his name is also known as Gideon. And all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside a string of uh, hired and the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For so Israel would become boastful. Israel would become boastful. Remember the scripture in um uh, let's see, uh, where it says, uh, lest any man should boast, lest any man should boast uh, not by our works. So that's Ephesians chapter 2. So here there was too many people that God God chose not to work until there was less people so that his name would be magnified so that the people would know that it was God, that it wasn't their own ability, that it wasn't how many men they had. I know so many times over the internet and even in person, so many times people have said, how can the president of Syria defeat Israel? Israel is such a mighty, powerful military, and right now everybody hates President of Syria, and with Israel, you got the United States and even Saudi Arabia supporting them, and Egypt supporting them in certain ways, and Jordan supporting them in certain ways, and and everything. How can this happen that the army of just and the, and the army of Israel, I mean the army of Syria, is so overwhelmed? with all these other armies working against him, how can he defeat all of those armies and Israel and the whole world? It's not about numbers. When God's involved, when the will of God is there, it's not about who has the biggest, who has the most men, who has the biggest armies, who has the most missiles. It's not about that. It's about what has God designed? What has God ordained? What is God going to do? So here there were so many men that were going to fight for Israel that God said, I don't want so many people to go to this war. So it says here in verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give meeting into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. Now that's what the president of Syria is going to say and has been saying and will say. Being like Nebuchadnezzar at one time, how he was boastful, thinking it was his own power. Just like the Prince of Tyre, and all the, a lot of the worldly leaders thinking it's of their own mind, their own military strategy, and their own funding and their own power. And so many people think, well, America has built this greatness. America's not built nothing. It's God. It's the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that's been passed down to America. My own power delivered me. Verse 3. Now therefore come and proclaim to the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one, shall go with you. He shall go with you. But everyone of whom I say to you, this one, shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, you shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Separate these two groups. Now the number of those who, were, who lapped, cutting their hand to their mouth with 300 men. But all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with 300 men who lapped. Now there were thousands. There was like 32,000 or more to begin with. And God narrowed it down from 32,000 or more to 300. He said, I'm going to deliver you with only 300. God can deliver us and see us through the entire three and a half years of the Great Tribulation with only the amount of supplies that we have right now. Now, I would like to get more, I'll be honest with you. And actually, I think God wants me to keep getting
2: more. But
0: there's going to come a day when I can't get no more, when you can't get no more. And we'll be at that time, or we might be at that time, thinking, oh, no, and I wanted to get such and such. But we've got to stop right there when that happens. That's just natural for us to do that. That's the flesh. But when that happens, we got to catch ourselves right in there and think, you know, God knew when it would come. God helped me to get everything that I have gotten. It's enough. Because if God wanted me to have the other stuff that I want, if God wanted me to have extra men and extra supplies, he would have provided it before the door shut. We've got to remember that. And trust when that moment comes that you have what God wanted you to have. No more and no less. He's perfect in his timing. He's perfect in his provision. When that time comes, remember, I have what God wanted me to have. No more and no less. And be content with what you have, right? Be content with what you have. It could be a lot worse. We could have been like the foolish and not even been clapping in the first place. So it says here, verse 7, The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with only the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man, to his home. So the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets. See, we're going to take our provisions and the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hand. And Gideon sent all the other men of Israel each to his camp, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Now, for those that go into the wilderness, and we're going to read in Revelation 12 here after a while, God willing, that there is a wilderness for some people, but not for everyone. But for those that are ordained to go to a location, whatever location it may be for that individual, for those that are going to go into those places of safety, places where God's going to protect his people, some of his people, it ain't going to be as easy as some people imagine. And it's going to be easier than what some people imagine. You know, some people imagine it's going to be very difficult, very hard. And some people imagine it's going to be extremely easy. Well, it's going to be easier and harder (laughs) according to however you think. And some people are actually going to have to um, really be brave to go in. They really are. And some people won't go in. You remember how they sent spies? How many spies did they send? Twelve spies. And only two said we can take the land. Only two. Some people will get to that point that once they find out where they're supposed to go, they're going to be, I ain't going. You remember how Lot, the angels came down and took him by the hand, Lot and his family. And they said, Go up to the mountain. He said, No, if I go to the mountain, I die. He was afraid to go to the mountain, even though God, the angels, told him that's where you supposed to go. And he said, Let me go to this little city. It's just a little town. Let me go over there instead. And he was granted that permission. But later on, he ended up in the mountain where God wanted him to go in the first place. And it's going to be like that that people's going to be like, I ain't going there. Let me go over here instead. That's exactly the way it is right now. So many people who have thought, well, let me go to the Bahamas. Actually, some people think that the Bahamas is where the place of safety is, and that is where God's people are supposed to go. God will protect them there. And some people think Arkansas, right on the New Madrid fault line. And some people think... uh, uh, Somewhere in the far off land some South America some people think South Africa some people think South Carolina so I mean, all, everybody's like all these uh, influences demonic influences and deceptions and traps and there are actually traps God showed me in a dream and God has shown similar dreams to other people that I've heard about how that people will go to a place and even after they get there, it's going to look fine and good, and all kinds of supplies, all ready set up for them, and and everything. And it's going to look like, hey, yeah, I am in the right place. But after they're settled in and they're feeding and feasting on their supplies, knock knock on the door. There's going to be the Russian and Chinese soldiers, and some of those are going to be actually places that was actually set up by the enemy and waiting for the people to come. Actual actual traps that's going to look good. There's going to be all kinds of snares and traps. And some of it's going to be like this group in South Carolina that call that man Brother Stare. He ain't my brother. That's what everybody calls him. And he's on the radio all across the world. There's thousands and thousands people that listen to him and follow him. And he lives in South Carolina. He has a whole commune down there where all these people, lots of people, have come and gathered around him and are following him. And he has a lot of truth, a lot of truth, and some deception. The devil always mixes truth and deception together. to grabs you into those snares. And he's saying on the radio, God will protect his people in South Carolina. Come be with us. So people come. Lots of people. Some people have been there for years and years and years, and they're still there. But how many women has he got pregnant? How many babies and, and adults have died under his care because he refuses to allow anybody to go to a doctor or a hospital, regardless of even if it's a heart attack or a stroke or anything? or a miscarriage, or anything. No, you can't go to the doctor. No, you can't go to the hospital. That's wrong. He is a murderer. He is a murderer. And people are still there. Some people have escaped. Some people were wise enough to leave. And they're giving their testimonies. Thank God for their testimonies. Lots and lots of people have left and given their testimonies about all the things he's done. But some people won't leave. They're so deceived by him. There's a lot of traps that look good at first until after you get there. But right here, God has decided in these verses to deliver Gideon, to deliver Israel, to deliver the children of Israel if they will obey him and allow him to work even with just few men. In verse 10 it says, so if you are afraid to go down, go so with uh, Pharaoh your servant, down to the camp. So he's saying, Gideon, if you're afraid, take your buddy with you. Take your slave with you. Take your servant with you. Take the scribe, whatever kind of servant he was, with you. And God does many times use two men. Moses and Aaron and the two witnesses of the end time and so forth. Verse 11, and you will hear what they say, and that's the word, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So God says you're going to hear something that's going to strengthen you, embolden you. And God does that many times. He will send a word, a message, uh, information that will encourage us and strengthen us. So he went down with Peron, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number and as numerous as the sand of the seashore. That's the kind of, the language sometimes in the Bible is called hyperbole or hyperbole, Huh? Hyperboli. Something like that. I, that. That's even worse. I can't say. <laughs> Basically, exaggeration. It's not, that, it's not that it's lying. It's just exaggerating, saying, you know, the number of sand on the seashore and the number of sand on the seashore would be in the billions and billions and billions. But it's not billions and billions and billions. It's just saying a lot. Even we, we do that. It's not really exaggeration. It's just expression of speech. So we need to understand that as we study the Bible. But sometimes there are expressions of speech. Verse 13. When Gideon said, Behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling in the camp of Midian, And it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell. And turned it upside down so the tent lay flat. His friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Gosh." A man of Israel, God has given Midian and all the camps into his hand. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He recognized that it was the fulfillment of prophecy. He recognized it was God speaking. He recognized that it was exactly what God told him, that he would hear a word of encouragement, a confirmation. And he needed a confirmation. And he got it. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of medium into your hands. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put trumpets and empty pictures into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pictures. He said to them, Look at me and do likewise. So he was the general. He was the leader, the captain uh, in front of the army. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets. I'm thinking of Jericho right now. Blow the trumpets, and you also blow the trumpets All around the camp, and say, for the Lord, and forget him. For the Lord and for Gideon. That's a powerful statement. It's for the Lord and for God's ordained, for God's servant, his anointed. Because Gideon was an ambassador of God. Gideon was a chosen judge of the time of the book of Judges. He was a chosen man of God and he represented the kingdom of God as a general for the Lord and for Gideon. He's arousing the men, getting them morale. And so Gideon knew how to uh, encourage his men and his army. Now, this trumpet here, in a sense, also pictures the blowing of the last trumpet. We'll read more about that in the account of Jericho. Verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men of each of the three camps, but this hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. That's about 10 p.m. When they had just posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the pictures pictures
2: that were in their
0: hands. And when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pictures, they held the torches in their left hands and the tor- trumpets in their right hands were blowing and cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. And when they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another between the enemy and Israel throughout the whole army. And the army fled as far as Beth, Shatal, toward Zepital, as far as the edge of Abel-Morah by Tabbos. Verse 23. The men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. Well, we know that God gave Midian into the hand of Gideon, gave Gideon into the hands of Gideon and the Israel with only 300 men. But it started with trumpets. Eventually they had to end up using the sword. Eventually they had to fight. Eventually they had to spill blood. It was a war. It was a real war. But the battle victory wasn't in their sword. The battle victory wasn't in their supplies, they did have to bring the sword. They had to do their part. They had to bring the sword. Even as the, the young men, when Jesus turned the fish and the bread into many, many more to feed all the thousands of people, there had to be someone to bring some fish and bread. They had to sow a seed. They had to give a tithe. You have to have something to start with, and then God will bless it and multiply it. And this is what God did here. And it started with the blowing of the trumpet. And the victory was not in the sword, but in the obedience that they did as Gideon said, that Gideon did as God said, and then the congregation of Israel did as the God ordained general did. And they did. And he said, Do as I do. And they did. And they all obeyed God and they obeyed God's man. And God delivered them. Amen. Now let's look at 1 Kings 17. That ain't far over there to your right. 1 Kings, you go through central, then your king. 1
2: Kings 17. Let's read about Elijah. Praise God. Oh, I am so thankful for the people that
0: are listening and for the people here in person.
2: We're going to have more people soon because I want more people to hear the word of God. Amen. 1 Kings, chapter
0: 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite, there's actually a man that lives in, uh, I believe, Greece or somewhere near Greece in the Mediterranean Sea that says he is Elijah. And I actually believe he he looks like Elijah. And um, he had me several years ago, to uh, send him a Bible. He provided the money, but uh, for some reason or another, I can't remember really well, but I had to, uh, he needed somebody to ship it for him. He couldn't order it where he was at. So he sent me the money. It wasn't a scam or nothing, and I sent him the Bible. Uh, but, and at no point, at no point of time did I, believe him as being one of the two witnesses which he claims that he is Uh, for some reason or another God has connected me in my life several times with people who claim to be the two witnesses in fact one of of my pastors uh, many many years ago that was with the Worldwide Church of God in Pennsylvania in Franklin, Pennsylvania Uh, that pastor more recently, you may recognize his name. He's online claiming to be one of the two witnesses. His name is uh Ron Wyman, something like that. Ron Wyman or Ronald Wyman, something like that. Uh, he claims to be one of the two witnesses. And there's been other accounts. So many times God has connected me with these uh, false two witnesses. Um, some people would think, well, maybe that's the devil. But it's not. Because uh, never did I fall for any of them, you know? Never did I fall for any of them. But there is a man named, or he calls himself Elijah. And uh, then I think of another group that claims to be the true witnesses also in South Carolina. They're all over the place. The world is filled with these false prophets and false Christs. You know, there's a lot of people claiming to be Christ. So it's amazing wickedness out there and the deception and people following them, lots of people following them. Mind blown. 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of us, Gilead, getting whatever, said to Ahab, "As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these days, except." By my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook uh, Sharif. And again, so many people like, well, I ain't hiding. I refuse to go hide. That, you're being a coward. You're just hiding. If God tells you to hide, hide and don't be ashamed of it. And yes, people's going to accuse you of hiding, and people's going to accuse you of all kinds of stuff, but obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. It's not a shame to hide if God tells you to hide. And he told Elijah to go hide yourself by the brook Sheroth,
2: which is east
0: of Jordan, of the Jordan, talking about the Jordan River. And it shall be that you will drink of the brook. He sent him out to the wilderness there, And he's drinking of the water in the creek of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. So he went and lived by the brook and lived. Not just a visit, but he lived by the brook Shareth, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. Praise God. And he would drink from the brook. And you know that's cold water. Fresh water. And he, it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Whose fault was that? It was Elijah's fault. Not God. Because Elijah said, it's not going to rain. Except by my word. He prayed that it wasn't rain. And it didn't rain for a space of three and a half years, the Bible says because God answered his prayer. We've got to be careful what we pray for. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zeph, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, i commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, usually, we're supposed to take care of the widows. But in this case, God chose to use Someone that could barely provide for themselves someone that who would usually look to somebody else for support and need assistance, but God chose the little to provide verse ten, so he arose even as he chose David, the uh just a shepherd out of all his brothers who were all older, and his dad David's dad thought. Surely it would be this boy, or this boy, or this boy, or this boy. And then finally it came down to David who was out. You know, God chooses the uh, underdog. Verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, the hollow widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And she was going to get it as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, and please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. Basically, basically she's saying, honestly, I'm not lying to you, honestly, I swear, I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. I have a little oil in your lamp in the jar, and behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die it says, gathering sticks I don't know what kind of sticks what kind of sticks I see anything in the margin here. Nope. I see no information, so it says here and die, she thought that she's just gonna. Basically, maybe tree bark. You know? I'm going to gather these sticks and die. She was at wit's end. She was ready to give up. But God brought a deliverer. Verse 13. Praise God. Verse 13. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake. He's not asking for anything big. He's asking for a tide. He's asking for this woman to put God first, to give a seed, to plant a seed, to sow a seed, a tide, just a little bread cake from the first, from it first, and bring it out to me, God's servant, God's representative. And afterwards, you may make one for yourself and for your son. I don't want to take everything you've got, but put God first. Fourteen. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the bow of fire shall not be exhausted, just as the fish and the bread is not exhausted. Should not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty and to the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. Her, her household, and Elijah ate for many days. And a bowl of flour. But see, it started with that she still had some flour. She still had some oil. So we do need to have a seed planted. It's okay to have oil. Matthew 25 tells us that we should have some oil. But then God does the rest. Don't put too much focus or too much emphasis or anxiety or worry that you ain't got enough. But rather, trust God to multiply it. Trust God to extend it that God will do his part. You've done your part. Keep doing your part. But when the door comes, when that ire comes, when that storm comes, when the electric goes out, when the breaking news comes across the TV, don't fret. Do not fear. God is in control. And God is just as much in control after the event than what he was before the event. God is the same God day and night. Good times and bad times, on the mountain and on the valley, God is still in control. The so verse 16 the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through Elijah. Praise God. Amen. Let's go to Zechariah 4. That's over there. <laughs> very close to the end of the Old
2: Testament, Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Look at verse 6, and then we're going to read the whole chapter
0: probably. Zechariah 4, uh, not the Z-E-P, but the (laughs) Z-E-C, Z-E-C-H, Zechariah, right there before Malachi, so it's next to the last book of the Old Testament, chapter 4, verse 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zechariah, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He's saying, not by your own power, not by your own strength. That's what it's meaning. Not by your own strength, Zebuliah. To so God was sending Zebuliah, however you pronounce it, please excuse me. But he was going to build, God was sending this man to build the second temple, to rebuild the temple after they came out of Babylon. And let's do verse one here and read the chapter. Verse one, then the angel who was speaking with me turned <coughs> returned and roused me because uh uh I believe Zechariah was seeing uh eight dreams or visions and um he aroused him from sleep as a man who is awakened from in sleep. In verse 2, he said to me, what do you see or what do you see in the dream? And behold, and I said, I see and behold a lampstand. Well, this is a menorah, is what he's talking about, a menorah of all gold with its bow on top of it. And it's seven lamps with seven candles, the seven oil lamps. Remember, we got to have oil for our oil lamps. And this is what this is. The manure, manure was actually the kind it's talking about. It's not candles, but it's a manure, and each of the seven branches is actually a miniature little oil lamp, each one of them, on the seven branches, a little miniature oil lamp, and they used olive oil for the oil. And so this seven lamp actually seven lamps on the manure on it with seven spouts which the oil flowed through belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it so you got a supply and a lamp of seven candles of seven oil lamps with a supply running to it also two olive trees by it so there's a whole supply basically a garden you got these two trees olive trees which is providing all this supply for the olive oil. One on the right side of the bow and the other on the left side. Verse 4. Then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And so the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to uh, Zerubbabel, saying, "Not by my talking about not by your power, and your strength, and your words, nor by power, but by my Spirit." So all these these olive trees and this olive and the oil, providing energy for the menorah, represents the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is what's going to provide. That the Holy Spirit now. In the dream, they'll steal oil, real oil in the dream, real trees, a real lampstand, lamps. But God was providing for all this. God was providing the oil. We've got to have real oil, Matthew 25, but the Holy Spirit provides it. The Holy Spirit provides it. Everything that I've got, everything you've got that we've been storing up for days, weeks, months, or years has all been provided by the Holy Spirit. The money we bought it with was provided by God. The guidance about what to buy, how to buy it, and the money to get it with, all by the Spirit of God, not of our own works, lest any man should boast. Verse 7, what are you, O great mountain? before Zebulon, It's saying, whatever the obstacle is, whatever the trial is, whatever the tribulation is, whatever the problem is, that mountain of trial and, and, and obstacle, what are you before this man of God, before Zebuliah, You will become a flame. That mountain will be made flat and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Even as they shout it, at Jericho even as they uh blew the trumpets uh for Jericho I mean for uh, uh Gideon in the book of judges as well as shouting at Jericho grace grace be to it here it is a shout of blessing that Zebola is shouting a blessing toward the temple of God. Amen. Praise God. Sometimes we should shout a blessing. Verse 8. Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house,
1: and his hands
0: will finish it. You started it, you're going to finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? What that's talking about is the first temple was bigger. This is going to be a smaller temple. And some of the people might have been thinking, and, and, and surely you know the way the flesh thinks. You know the way the disobedient, the rebellious think. It's like, but this is going to be a
2: small temple,
0: you know. Who despises these things? It's of God. Don't despise it. Don't, don't despise the widow. Don't despise that small servant of flour. That small servant of oil. Don't despise that small amount of supplies that you've already got stored up. It's sufficient. It's what God has selected. God selected a smaller temple. God has selected smaller army. God has selected the small things. The widow. The underdog and small amount of supplies for some people. Some people will only show up with only what's on their back. And that's exactly where way it's ordained. Some people will show up with nothing on the back because it's exactly what God wanted for them. So that God will show that person his, his might, his strength, his power. And God will use other people to stir up three huge amounts of supplies is still by his power if that was what God wanted for that person. Whereas there are other people are storing up large amount of, of supplies, to these militias, outside the will of God. Some people are doing it inside the will of God and some people are doing it outside the will of God. And of course the militias have their own mind frame and they won't even be safe, regardless of all their supplies. Whereas other people will be safe with few supplies. Because they're trusting in God instead of guns. That's one of the biggest problems right now with the church If they're trusting in guns instead of God. Big G and little G. They're trusting in their little G. They're almighty God. Some people are trusting in their almighty uh uh supplies and everything else that they got we
2: got to do our part, but we got to make sure it's what God really wants. Now, let's look at Jericho,
0: Joshua 6. Joshua 6 over there. That was close to Judges, Deuteronomy tree, right after Deuteronomy
2: tree. Joshua 6,
0: reading the account of Jericho. I don't like calling it a story. It's not a story. It's the account, the historical record of Jericho. There's no stories in the
2: Bible. Uh, Joshua Verse 1, Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. They
0: had heard about the family of God. They had heard about the congregation of God. And these people in Jericho, even though it was a mighty city with mighty walls, They were afraid of the sons of Israel. And no one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once, and you shall do so for six days, one time per day for six days. And also, seven priests, the number of perfection and completeness, seven priests who carry seven trumpets. And this pictures the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bows that you read about in the book of Revelation. And the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, then on the seventh day, which doesn't necessarily mean the seventh day of the week, but what it's talking about could have been and may have not have been, but on the seventh day of doing that. Now, of course, one of these days had to have been the Sabbath. Uh, if you go seven days long, one of them was the Sabbath day. But it's not clear which day. Then on the seventh day that you're doing this, you shall, and it may even be the Sabbath, shall march around the city seven times. Seven, seven, seven. This is seven seals, seven trumpets, seven boats. March around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when you make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. All the people shall shout with a great shout. Yes, we will. The blowing of that last trumpet. There should be a great shout, the Bible says. How great ready to shout. I'm ready to shout. I'm ready to shout. Can't wait to shout. Can't wait to shout. Our glorious day that will be. And all the people shall shout. With a great shout. And the wall of the city, Babylon, will fall. Praise God. The wall of the city shall fall flat. And the people will go up every man straight ahead. Verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city and let the iron men go on before the Ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor hear your voice be heard, nor let a word to see it out of your mouth, until the day I tell you, shout. Then you shall shout. They had to hold back. I used to shout, <laughs> verse 11. It's got to be at the right time now. We can't get carried away. We've got to wait. Verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. So Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets and the armed men went before them and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Now, the ark of the covenant was in the middle. They had armed men before that and they had the rear guard after it. It reminds me of in the menorah how you have the center candlestick representing God, Messiah, but the Ark of the Covenant, a lot of people worshiped it. But it wasn't meant to be worshiped. It was meant to represent the seed of God, the commandments of God, the Word of God, the presence of God. And they was supposed to worship God through this instrument of the Ark. while they continued to blow the trumpet. Verse 14. Thus, the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did so for six days that this happened. Verse 15. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day. And notice, the beginning of the day was not at sunset. It was in the morning, at dawn. The Jews did not learn sunset to sunset until they were in Babylonian captivity. History shows, documentation after documentation after documentation after documentation in history shows, lots and lots of proof, that the Jews were doing sunrise to sunrise for their calendar days and feast days and Sabbaths until they came in Babylon and learned from the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Earth. Muslim calendar of sunset to sunset and the Muslims to this very day observe sunset to sunset. So that tells you something. And I encourage people listening to check out the article on the ministry website about when does the day start and it will point you to the scriptures and I just ask you to consider the evidence in prayer and see where the Holy Spirit leads. So in verse 15, then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day, is early, not at sunset, and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they marched around the city seven times on the seventh day. And at the seventh time, when the priest blew the trumpet, and this represents the last trumpet, the catching up, into the marriage supper with the Lamb of God, Joshua said to the people, shall for the Lord has given you the city and the city shall be under the band. It shall, it and all that is in it belongs to the Lord and only rehab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourself for yourselves from the things under the band so that you do not Covenant them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel a curse and bring trouble to it. So all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets, and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. Every man straight ahead, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed the city of man and woman. So they had to fight. Eventually, they had to take up the sword. Eventually, they had to use muscle and their feet, and they had to do their part, and they had to do the part even before then with obedience. But the victory was not in the sword. The victory was not in their muscles. The victory was not in their feet. The victory was in God, through the Holy Spirit. What God did at the shout. Now, if they had not shouted, God would not have done it. We've got to shout. We've got to obey God in every aspect of whatever he asks us or commands us to do. We've got to obey God, then put it in God's hands. And stand still. Do what you're supposed to do, then stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Let's look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2. Thank you, guys,
2: for the. Cool wind.
0: Praise God, that just good. Praise God for provision from the heat. Praise God, it's not raining yet. Praise God, for Tammy and Andy. Praise God for my wife. Praise God, almighty praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Ephesians 2, verse 8. Ephesians 2,
2: verse 8. For
0: by grace you have been saved through faith. And that none of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So if, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are supposed to do good works. We're not saved by our works, but we are supposed to do do good works. We are supposed to give alms. We are supposed to help the widow. We are supposed to help the orphan. We are supposed to help those in need. But don't let them take advantage of you either. But we are supposed to help people. And we are supposed to fast and pray and keep the Sabbath and keep the feast days of our kingdom of God. These are our days of our kingdom just like people keep the 4th of july for the kingdom of the united states we keep pentecost peace of tabernacles passover for god we don't keep the old covenant we keep it for god for jesus these are the days of our kingdom we are not people without days of celebration commemoration we have, a lot to, we have more to celebrate and more to commemorate than what the world does. We are not people without joy, without celebration, without feast. We have more to feast about, celebrate, and shout about than what the world does. Let's not take it for granted. There's so much in these verses right here. Let's read it again, verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For thy grace, thy grace. That's something to think about for a whole weekend. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That faith is important. We've got to have faith. This is what this is all about today. Faith. And that not of yourselves, not of what we have done, not of what we have stocked up, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Everything that we got saved back is the gift of God. Not as a result of my works, not as a result of what I've done or what I've bought, but what God gifted to us, what God gave, what God provided, what God led us in, lest anyone may boast. Let us not, when we get in the wilderness, let us not say, I did this. Let us not say anything to give us credit for what we've stored up, saved up. It was God that did it through us. we God that maintained that focus. Verse 10,
1: for we are his workmanship,
0: created in Christ Jesus for these good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God has prepared the place of safety. God has carved out the caves. God has carved out the landscape. God has carved out in history, in time, in people, in individuals, in spirits, in everything, God has carved it out, ordained it, and planned it, and prepared it. It is God that will bring the people. It is God that will say when it's time. It is God that will lead us in, even as he led the children of Israel, the congregation of Israel, across the Red Sea. It is God that led them in the pillow of fire and in the cloud, pillow of cloud. It is God that divided the Red Sea and not Moses, but God used Moses. And Moses had to lift his hand up, poke his hands all night long. Hour after hour after hour after hour. Moses had to keep up both hands and Aaron had to help hold up his arms. And every time that he slipped a little bit, so would the wind and the waves a little bit. But when he went back up, it went right back up. And the water stayed up all night long and the east wind blew up all night long. Hold back the waters. God did it, but he used man. But we don't give Moses the credit. We give God the credit. It's a union between God and man, it is a relationship. It is a marriage of man and woman. It is a marriage. Two walk together. How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? Moses was in agreement with God. We've got to be in agreement with God in all of this that we do. Amen. Praise God. Revelation 12. Revelation 12.
2: Praise God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Revelation 12,
0: verse 7. Now, chapter 12 is hard for people to understand because it's several time frames in this chapter and that's what people don't understand.
2: So let's quickly review and then we'll pick up verse seven. Verse one and verse two and three
0: and four. Verse one through four is talking about the nation of Israel, uh Joseph, uh, the sons of Israel, the twelve tribes, uh uh, verse 3, it's got uh, seven heads, ten, oh, that's the enemy there, let's see. Oh, verse, uh, verse uh, 1 has the 12 stars. Those 12 stars are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the nation of Israel giving birth to Jesus Christ. As the nation of Israel is looked at as being a woman, the nation of Israel was looked at in the Old Testament as being the bride of, of God. God divorced her, gave Israel away. Israel gave birth to Jesus Christ. And the devil tried to kill Jesus Christ at his birth. And the devil drew a third of the angels away, even before Adam and Eve, verse 4. Verse 5 is talking about Jesus being born to Israel and to Mary. So here, the woman transfers from being Israel to Mary and they escaped into Egypt for three and a half years. Uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus went to Egypt for three and a half years. And then in verse 7, it comes to our time. Verse 7, in our day and in our time, just before the Great Tribulation. This could be any second now. It could be any minute, any hour, any day, any week, any month. It's sometime soon. I don't know when. Just before the Great Tribulation. This is all for close. Verse 7. There's a war in heaven. This is... Not the same war as verse 4. This is not the same war that happened before Adam and Eve when the devil fell with a third of the angels. This is going to be a war in our day and time when the son of perdition, who is a fallen angel, he's not the devil himself, he is a fallen angel under the devil, the son of perdition, the son of the devil, who is going to wage war in heaven with the devil and all his angels. Verse 7, there's a war in heaven in our day and time when the good angels, Michael and his angels, waging war with the dragon, the devil, and the dragon, his angels, including all the fallen angels. Well, some fallen angels, or all of them, some or all, either way, including the son of perdition, who is a fallen angel. He's in heaven warring against the good angels. In verse 8, and they were not strong enough, of course not, they're foolish. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Right now, just as in the book of Job, the devil is able to go back and forth between heaven and earth, accusing the brethren, accusing us night and day before the throne of God until this war
1: happens. And when this
0: war happens, they're going to be cast out of heaven and will no longer ever again ever be allowed before the throne of God. And they won't be allowed in heaven at all. They're going to be banned when this happens. Verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, which is called the devil Satan, who deceives the whole world. He is thrown down to the earth in our day and time. And his angels, including the son of perdition, the president of Syria, shall be thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. So this shows you this is something about the end time. For the accuser of our brother has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. So why do people say the devil? I've had people tell me this. The devil is not allowed in heaven. See, they think, people that say this, they think that the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled. That none of this happens in our damn time. They think it's already been done. The devil's not allowed to go back and forth. He's not allowed in heaven. They think all oh, this is fulfilled. They don't understand the Bible. This has not been fulfilled yet. He's going back and forth accusing us. But when this war comes, God's going to cut his foot down, cast them out, and ban them from heaven. Verse 11, And they, the saints of God, overcome him, the devil, because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and because they did not love their life even when faced with death, that they kept their focus on reality. They kept their focus on the kingdom of God, not on this flesh and blood, not on this life. It don't matter whether we live or die in this life as long as it's for Christ. If I die, let it be for Christ. If I live, let it be for Christ. If I suffer, let it be for Christ. That is the attitude that these saints have in verse eleven, verse twelve. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you that dwell in them, talking about God and the angels. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devils has great the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. It's not a long time when this happens. This is talking about the end of days. It's only a short time. It's talking about only three and a half years, not seven. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. The Bible says that over and over and over. It never says seven years in context. That's just interpretation. I don't want interpretation of Daniel 9. I want what it exactly says in the book of Revelation and even Daniel 12 over and over and over and over and over. Even in Daniel 7, I think, how it says over and over and over, 42 months, 1260 days, a time and time and a half the time. Verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Now, in verse 1, it is Israel. In verse 5, it is Israel and Mary. In verse 11, it is the church. So Israel foreshadowed the church. Israel, in the Old Testament, was called the Congregation of Israel. We are the Congregation of Israel now, spiritually. So now it goes to, we are Israel. We are the church. We are the woman, in verse 13. The dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth. He persecuted the church, the true church. This ain't talking about Babylon. This ain't talking about the Catholic Church or the Pentecostal or the Baptist or any denomination of man. It's, taught, it's not talking about the Orthodox Catholic it's not talking about any of those groups that ISIS is persecuting and beheading right now. It's talking about the saints of God. He persecuted this woman, the bride of Christ, who gave birth to the male child. Because it's, biblically speaking, we are Israel. And Israel gave birth to the male child. But now we are Israel. But now he's going to persecute. Here you got dual meaning. He's going to persecute the nation of Israel, both physically and spiritually. He's going to persecute Jerusalem. He's going to persecute the president of Israel. I wish I could pronounce his name. Verse 14. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman, the church. Now, he's not going to give two wings of a great eagle... To all the Jews, the entire nation, they're they're filled with witchcraft, the Jews. The Jews reject Jesus Christ. I mean, some have accepted Jesus. But by far, the nation of Israel, if if we take this to mean, like a lot of people do, to mean the nation of Israel, physically speaking, and only the nation of Israel, but the nation of Israel is in sin and witchcraft. It's more than anything else It's talking about the church. Two wings of a great eagle. Now, you can find that in uh, the Old Testament. It talks about how that God gave the Israelites, that he carried the Israelites out of Egypt on two wings of an eagle. It talks about that. Now, were they physically on an eagle? Of course not. So it's spiritually talking. It's saying that God delivered them. That's what it's saying. That God delivered the nation of Israel across the Red Sea. Here, it is God who would deliver us. It is God that would deliver us. But it's got dual meaning here. This is an airplane. And multiple airplanes. And God has shown me, and other people, not just myself. God has shown me airports. God has shown me uh, planes. God has shown me um, things that I can't really talk about. That how he is going to use airplanes to bring some of his people to certain locations. And even the invention of the airplane, even though uh, electronics and electricity and transportation and cars and locomotives and airplanes, all of that plays a part in corruption of mankind, but God is in control. And even in the invention of airplanes, God has carved out in history who did it, where, when, how, and why. deliver his church, to deliver his people on two wings of a great eagle. They still had to cross the Red Sea on chariots and on foot. And we will still have to cross the Jordan River, but not physically the Jordan, most of it. That we, some of us, will still have to cross a river, even physically. And people say, I can't, I can't, you, you know, you're killing me here. <laughs> They're going to say, I cannot cross that. I'd rather be back in Egypt. I'd rather be back in Chicago. I'd rather be back in New York. I'd rather be back in Florida. How can we cross that body of water? I'm telling you, there's going to be another exodus. The whole Bible, in a sense, is being repeated. There will be a Moses and an Aaron. There will be two witnesses. There will be two prophets in Jerusalem. There will be an exodus across water again. There will be. But anyway, so the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly. See, this is different wording now from what it was the Old Testament. The Old Testament says two wings of an eagle, but it don't say this so that she could fly into the wilderness. Some people try to apply this into the rapture. Well, heaven is not a wilderness in any way, shape, or form. Not spiritually, not symbolically, not dual meaning. Wilderness is not heaven. This is not a rapture so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place. And it ain't South Carolina. It ain't Bahamas. I'd like for her to be in the Bahamas, but it's not, into her place where she was nourished, provided with food, water, supplies, where she was nourished, as a child is nourished. She was nourished for a time, you could hold up one finger, times, you could hold up two fingers, that would, be, that would bring you to three fingers, and a half a time, three and a half years, from the presence of the circle. She's hiding. And the devil ain't allowed in there. This is a location. It is a physical location where God will sometimes, somewhere on this earth, more than one location, protect his people. Some of his
2: people, not everyone. And the the, the, the serpent poured water like a river
0: out of his mouth This could be literal flood and or army. Sometimes in the Bible, it describes armies as a flood. It could be both. It could be either one. Like a river out of his mouth after the church, the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with a flood. Whatever this is, it's physically. Whether it's literal water or armies or
2: both, it is something physical. I wouldn't be surprised if it's both armies and
0: a literal flood. It, it could be related to the dams breaking. Could be or somehow connected to it. Swept the way of the flood. Now, if it's a rapture, the devil wouldn't. Well, he's stupid and he's foolish, but surely he ain't that stupid. That if you're being caught up to heaven, that he's going to try to sweep you away with a flood. You know. I think he's smarter than that, as stupid as he is. So uh, this is something that occurs on the ground, at ground level, that the devil is is like, "Uh uh-oh, the church is fleeing into the wilderness. I'm going to break this. I'm going to bring forth this army. I'm going to bring forth this flood, and I'm going to try to kill these people. It's at ground level. It don't make sense for that attack to happen if if you're just going straight up in the air. Verse 16, but God, but God. It says, but the earth helped the woman. you think she does it on her own? No, it's God doing this. The earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of its mouth. This sounds like an earthquake to me. It sounds like a big rupture in the ground, a big fault line, a big old split in the earth. Ha-ha! Verse 17. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, the church, and went off to make war with the rest of her children, the church that's left behind. This ain't no rapture left behind. It's an exodus left behind. The people that were,
3: I going in there, I'm afraid,
0: or maybe God didn't call you in there. And are they raptured out? No, none of these people are raptured out. The rest of them ends up in a physical and spiritual war against the devil and the son of perdition. This is solid proof against the rapture. Solid. You can't get no more solid than this, although there's plenty of solid proof all across the Bible against the preacher of rapture. make war with the rest of her children. Now, these are good people. These are good saints. These ain't bad saints. It's just that they didn't make it into the wilderness for one reason or another. Maybe they wasn't allotted to, or they was too afraid to, or they was rebellious. But either way, they still keep the commandments of God. They are still true Christians, and they still keep the commandment of God. And hold the testimony of Jesus. Some people believe all you've got to do is hold the testimony of Jesus. As long as you claim Jesus, as long as you believe in Jesus, as long as you came to the altar one time in your life 50,000 years ago, that you're okay. Well, you've got to hold the testimony of Jesus. That's clear. But they also keep the commandment of God. That's the all ten commandments, including the Sabbath day. But they still don't make you into the wilderness for one reason or another. And for those that make it into the wilderness, we should not think that it was of our own power, of our own ability that we made it in, or our own goodness, or our own righteousness. We should humble ourselves on that day that we make it into the wilderness and enter into that place or places. If God so calls us to do that, and grants us that gift and that uh, so forth, we should humble ourselves uh, and say, you know, it's not that I was obedient enough or righteous enough or anything. It's just this is what God's designed for me. I'm here by the grace of God. I'm here as a gift from God, not of my own work. But so we've got to be careful to humble ourselves. We don't want to go in there and think we're better than anyone else. In fact, I believe there will be people there with some serious problems. I know there will be, just like the first exodus. There'll be people there mummering. I can hear it already. How come you didn't save such and such back? Well, if you knew it was coming and you knew this and you knew that, how come you didn't buy this and save back this? How come you didn't buy more of this? I can hear it already. Just like it's here already. I can hear it. I can hear it already. And, well, we hear from God too. You're not the only one. We hear from God, too. I can hear it already. (laughs) Oh, well. We'll just have to deal with it when it comes. God is in control. God is in control. Let's look at one more verse.
2: Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And I'm having to re-sign back in on the, uh, so close to the end here. Okay. Sorry for the interruption. Uh, I had to sign back into the website,
0: and I see that there's still people there, and we appreciate you very much in Louisiana and those people that can be listening later in the week. I know Lisa listens to the archives later on in the week and other people listen to the archives later in the week. And I I truly, really appreciate everybody. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the look and in the strength of his might. He's got big arms. He's got big muscles. He's got knowledge. He knows what's best. It's perfect timing. He created the clock. He created the plans. And it was God himself is going to bring the tribulation. And we need it. We need the great tribulation. God's going to bring it. And God's going to bring everything. The devil just thinks, he knows what he's doing. The devil just thinks he's doing whatever he's doing. It is God that's behind everything. God is in control. and God even created the smith, the smith blower, the coal blower. He created the devil, the fallen angels. They created them perfectly without fault. Then vanities fell in them, and they fell on their own. But be strong in the Lord and in his might. So that's the conclusion of the sermon, and then I also like to tell you that uh, we're going to be continuing to do broadcasts every week, uh, live, and also it's saved in the archives. And then we're preparing and counting the days down to Pentecost, and the day of Pentecost is coming up on May 24th on a Sunday and we'll be having services two days in a row that Sabbath, Saturday, and then the next day, Sunday, day of Pentecost, May 24th. So May 23rd and 24th at two o'clock PM Eastern time for the, uh, live broadcast. And for those that, uh, come in person, we'll start at one on both of those days, the services. And, um, You're welcome to bring friends and family. You're welcome to invite people always to services no matter when it is. And uh, here before we eat, let's do, uh, after we sign out uh, and everything, close the Internet broadcast, before we eat, we'll do a card ministry and we'll pray for individual people and throw out cards and get them sent in the mail and stuff like that. But remember Pentecost and be praying for Pentecost, be praying, I'm running ads on Facebook and running ads to try to inform people and let people know that we're having services, uh, that people can come to services. And uh, we usually don't broadcast the music, the worship part, because the worship is private between us and God, but sometimes we do let you listen in to the last song or two, and uh so anybody that would like a copy of the worship music that we sing, I'll be glad to send you a free CD as a service and a help and a blessing and edification to you. I'll be glad to send you if you'd like to have one. Request it—a free worship music CD that is the same worship music that we hear that we use here at services. And uh, all you got to do is go to the website at I Saw the Light Ministries. I saw and uh, look at the very bottom of the navigation bar and the very bottom of the page for the word contact. Click there, fill out the form, and tell me that you're requesting a free uh, worship music CD or gospel music CD, and I'll be glad to send you one. Make sure you give me your full web address, email address, name, and all that, and I'll be glad to put it in the mail as soon as I can. Uh, without any charge for postage or anything, we don't sell anything at I saw light ministries. The Bible clearly says and teaches that we are to freely give. uh, That we are not to sell the truth. And I would never dare sell worship music. People need to be very, very, very careful about doing that. Don't sell worshiping God. Don't sell worshiping God it is a free gift and uh, please check out the articles on the website I really appreciate everybody that listens and everybody that comes in person we give all the glory to Jesus Christ thank you for listening so much pray for us pray for this ministry we're praying for you and if you have any questions I'll be glad to answer them after services as well Anybody that has a dream, a prophecy, or anything to share, you're always welcome to do so after services. If you would like to be anointed with oil, that's good, and we'll do that as well. So we conclude the Internet, and thank you for listening all this in the name of Jesus Christ. So be
2: it. Amen. plus.